Hello and welcome to No Wax Needed, an Israeli podcast about martial arts. This is our 31st episode to China and Back, an interview with Marin Spivak. And it was recorded on February 18th. My name is Iftar Govrin and you will hear my co-host Itamar Zadov in the interview. Our guest today is Marin Spivak. Marin is a practitioner, teacher and 20th generation lineage holder in Chen family Tai Chi Chuan based in the Boston area, preserving and developing this system. The idea to interview Marin uh, came to us through Ofek, a listener of our podcast, who is also an Israeli practitioner of Tai Chi Chuan and a student of uh, Marin. Ofek has, had arranged Marin to come to Israel for teaching an intensive seminar um, of Tai Chi Chuan between uh, 16th and 19th of May. Details on the seminar and other sites to find out more about Marin are in the show notes. Um, two more things before we start the interview. Uh, first, while most of our episodes are in Hebrew, several are in English. So if you are interested in listening more, uh, just hit the English episodes tag on our website. Uh, second thing, in April 29th, Itamar and I are, are doing a joint seminar for our listeners. Obviously, it will be in Israel, in Pardes Chana. Uh, in this seminar, we will explore the similarities and differences between Karate and Aikido. I'm very excited about this seminar. Uh, we've already did some workout together, and the potential is huge. It was really interesting. I also did I mention it's totally free. So, hope to see you there. Uh, that's enough for me. On with the interview. So hello, uh, Marin. How are you? Oh, hello. I'm, I'm fine. I hope you guys are well over there. Yeah, we're great. Thank you. Uh, so again, first of all, thank you for this interview. If we can just start, if you could uh, explain in a few words what uh, it's the, in Israel we're, we're more used to, to the term Tai Chi and if you can explain a little bit of Tai Chi Chuan and especially uh, uh, the the Chen school that you're practicing what is maybe its specialties or what's the difference from other schools it would be great okay so uh, so in in Chinese it's called Tai Chi Chuan okay it's uh, it's been sort of converted to the English pronunciation and people are very familiar with With it being called Tai Chi um, and that actually in <clears throat> at least in English that can produce a fair amount of confusion yeah here is well there's a lot of uh, fascination with this this idea of what they call chi in in uh, Chinese martial arts and in Chinese medicine mm-hmm. um, which means uh, essentially you know sort of like energy or inherent universal energy uh, and people often think that the word Tai Chi refers to that energy well it doesn't uh, the the word in Chinese Tai Chi is Um, actually refers to like a, a sort of a polar relationship meaning uh, the relationship between what they call yin and yang which is the 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 feminine receptive uh, energy dark uh, as opposed to the sort of masculine advancing uh, a bright type of energy these are the two polar opposites of sort of universal energy according to Chinese cosmology um, this this is This is a concept in a very ancient Chinese philosophy and cosmology, and the concept itself is just called Taiji, which refers to 
that like the you everybody almost so many of the Asian martial arts use this diagram that we see that has the the white fish and the black fish chasing each other in a circle, right? Mm-hmm. And the white fit the white fish has a black eye and the black fish has a white eye and they're chasing each other. And that in Chinese, that diagram is called the Taiji Tu, which means that just the Taiji diagram, okay? Which is basically just illustrating the flux, the relationship, the dynamic between those two opposing energies and how they are constantly chasing each other and, and sort of the conflict and the harmony between those two opposite type of energies. Um, so what they call Taiji Chuan is just essentially, Chuan just means fist, okay? Like... Uh, uh, yeah, in Japanese it's Ken for many right, martial arts. Right, yeah. Ken. Right, so so Chuan just means fist. It just refers to a fist system, okay? Mm-hmm. So Taiji Chuan just means the Taiji dynamic the taiji concept fist okay um whether or not that was its original name there's some debate about that um as far as the different styles of taiji there's uh in terms of scholarly recorded history we know that chen is the oldest and all the other branches originated from chen from the chen family um you know how exactly it was created there's also some debate on that um but the chen family uh, were practitioners of a number of different martial arts before the assembly of Taiji Chen. One of them was uh, uh, Shaolin, I think it was Shaolin Red Fist. They had another one that's called Tongbei Chen, a certain type of, I think, Hongdong Tongbei. Uh, Tongbei is another another Chinese martial arts, which the name kind of roughly translates to sort of through the back fist, like you're using oh. your back, you know, for power. There's a number of different ancestor arts the Chen family practiced. And then at some point along the line, you have um, the famous figure named Chen Wangting. And Chen Wangting was some kind of a military official. You know, some say he was a general. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a historian, so that's not really my specialty. But this is kind of commonly known information that he was a military official of some, of some uh, notoriety and uh, had had participated or fought in a number of uh, campaigns for, for that particular dynasty at the time. And, and then uh, politics uh, went unfavorably for him and, and that dynasty. And then he was basically laid off. He was out of work. Um, he was no longer a soldier. He returned to his farming village with a lot of uh, martial arts skill and experience. And he was old, and and basically he was put to pasture. You know, it was nothing for him to do. It was like an old workhorse. They said, "No need for you anymore. Go back to your farming village." He went back to his village, and as he was old, you know, life was probably kind of boring there compared to being a, a, an official in in the imperial army. And uh, so, as he says in in these old uh, sort of poetic writings, that he spent his time uh, uh, teaching the young people martial art, you know, boxing routines. When, when the harvest was done, he spent his time teaching, uh, creating boxing routines for the young people to help them become you know, better members of society and lions and tigers at will. Okay, um, That's sort of when it first starts, when Chen Wangting – and Chen Wangting is – there's also some, some uh, scholarly history out there uh, about him uh, being part of a sworn brotherhood that were members of a certain temple uh, near, near Tuchen village in that area of China. Um, that practice some kind of spiritual disciplines and qigong, you know, energy practices um, and martial arts. And uh, him and and some of his sworn brothers kind of developed this taiji fist um, and then went on to practice it and teach it. It just so happens that Chen Village 
and the Chen family were the only sort of historically, uh, they, they kept it historically intact. And he went back to his village, who knows where his sworn brothers went to. We don't have much of a record on that. He went back to his village and, and, and created these boxing routines, maybe based on uh, what he had created in that temple, if the history is correct, um, and passed it down to his family. Um, and, that, and, and that was including a lot of what we call the push hands regimen and all that type of stuff. Um, and then they kept it in the family and continued to develop it over hundreds of years. I think it was something like 400 years or whatever it is. And, you know, then over time, you know, eventually there was uh, the famous student named Yan Lu Chan, and who, who was sort of an indentured servant of the Chen family and was sneaking a peek at other people practicing, wanted to learn boxing and was not allowed to because he was not, you know, his name wasn't Chen, but he sort of was sneaking and watching and then he was caught and, uh, you know, they probably would have killed him, you know, because he, you know, got a peek at the secret art and, um, and someone said, Hey, let's take a look at him practicing. Let's see, see what he was able to steal, you know? And, and, and someone said, well, he's, you know, not too bad. He, he's, he's a smart guy. He picked up a little bit. Let's, you know, maybe we'll spare his life and we'll teach him. And they did. He, he, and, and later he started what they call Yang style Tai Chi Chuan. And Yang style Tai Chi Chuan is basically, I think the most popular, um, especially in the past, you know, 20, 30 years, that's what we think of when, when people think of quote unquote Tai Chi, they're mostly thinking of Yang style and what you see in the park, you know, done by old ladies, you know, old Chinese ladies doing slow movements in the park. Most of it is going to be Yang style, which is, you know, very soft sort of upright practice. that's mainly geared for health. Um, not a lot of martial content. And of course, there's some more traditional Yang style practitioners out there that still have some martial uh, curriculum, but the vast, you know, popular uh, understanding of Tai Chi is usually Yang style and it's kind of a health practice. Um, the original Yang style was also a martial art and there's another, other styles that have branched off of that like Wu style and Sun style and other, other styles, but they all go back to Chen. That's as far back as any, as any history really goes. Um, and, you know, the general idea is is uh, why they named it Taiji or somebody named it Taiji is relating to that relationship between yin and yang and positive and negative forces. And that's sort of, um, we'll say that's at, at least, it's not only, but at least a two, a, a double faceted idea for Taiji Chen. And, and one facet being that within one's own body, within the body of the practitioner, we are trying to harness that relationship between yin and yang. And they say that yin is the mother of yang. So the feminine receptive is the mother power, okay? And yang being the sort of hard power, um, or yin is often sort of equated with soft and yang is equated with hard, um, that they say the hard comes from the soft. So yin being the mother of yang, you harness the soft and relaxing flowing and receptive power to create a very strong hard power um, from that and in combination with that. And then on the other side, the other aspect uh, is in relation to the opponent, not so different from what we know as judo, because um, judo in Chinese is called zhou dao, which means the soft way. Okay, um, Judo, although it's in some ways a very rigorous art and there's a lot of strength involved, the I think, I mean, I'm not experienced in judo, but I think the idea is that, is that you know, they, they are also trying to use the opponent's actions and strengths against them, the, you know, to their advantage. Uh, and so Taiji 
in relating to the opponent also works that way, that uh, besides harnessing the relationship between positive and negative forces in one's own body, in relation to the opponent, you're also trying to use the opponent's force uh, to become your force. So uh, they have the concept of uh, never, never directly opposing strength and force. So if your opponent uh, has a very strong action, you're, you're trying not to block that action and not to go against that action. And, and basically... Uh, trying to avoid struggle, right? Head-on force, head-on resistance. So if your opponent is giving you force, you're going to try and find a way to yield or join with that force and then cycle it through your own body and give it back to them as essentially the opposing force. Or, you know, if, if one side is giving you a lot of power, you would maybe loosen that side, relax that side, and then attack the other side with a hard power. So one side becomes soft, the other side becomes hard. And so, and it can work, you know, quite a bit more complicatedly than that, but that's a general idea. Um, and in terms of you know myself, I've uh, been studying Chen Tai Chuan since around the age of 25. Uh, so that's what is that 20, 22 or 23 years. Um, and uh, I, I got lucky with with the teachers that I started with, and um, it just so happened the person that I started with uh, was teaching a particular style or lineage of Chen Tai Chuan. And I really didn't know what Chen Tai Chuan was at the time. Um, but I was able through social relationships and, and hard work to remain in that style or lineage of Chen throughout most of my training career. Um, and although I, I did move through several different teachers, uh, some passed away, um, I'm still in that similar style. And, and, and that has its unique, uh, certainly has its unique qualities, but that's probably for the next question, right? I mean, <laughs> it could get pretty long if I keep going. Uh, well, if we're talking about the Chen, Chen style, so I, I, just to let, know, uh, to let our uh, listeners know, as far as I understand, you're an official 20th generation of uh, Chen uh, Tai Chi style, right? Yes, I, I, yes that's correct. Uh, so... I would like to hear the story, and I'm sure our listeners would like to how how a Westerner like you got to get adopted into the Chen family, so to speak. Well, okay, so that's it's a long story, and I can tell I'll tell some things here, and and basically my first teacher was named Chen Jinghong, or in the U.S. he was known as Jean Chen, and he was a long-term practitioner of Chen Tai Chuan, and before Chen Tai Chuan, he had also. Uh, gotten to a sort of master level of what they call Zhuga Tanlangquan, um, which is Zhu family. Uh, it was sort of, it's really Zhu family Kung Fu, but okay. Kung Fu, like they say Kung Fu, right? That's just Mandarin Kung Fu. Okay. Um, Zhu family Kung Fu. And sort of after the fact that was named uh, Tanlangquan, which means uh, praying mantis fist. Okay. And that's what's, uh, what's known in China as Southern Mantis, okay? So he was originally trained that style. I grew up in Hong Kong and trained that style. And then later, uh, there was, I think, uh, I think his family had someone who worked for his family, maybe a bodyguard or something, um, early on back in Shanghai, um, had known Chen Tai Chuan. And he, so he was exposed to it and, and was always interested. And so he did Southern Mantis. And then later when he was older, he went back and searched out uh, Chen Tai Chuan and was able to learn from somebody very famous at the time whose name was Feng Zhiqiang. And Feng Zhiqiang was a disciple of one of the most famous recent masters of Chen Taishuan, whose name was Chen Ke. And Chen Ke was the guy who, in 1928, 
basically brought Chen Taishuan out of Chen Village, which was closed and private and they never taught anybody, uh, brought it out of Chen Village and he moved to Beijing in 1928 and started teaching the public. And, and he became very famous and was known to be very fierce, very good. Uh, and so Jean Chen went and learned from his disciple named Funderchang. And then, you know, Jean was living in the U.S. Um, I met Jean really by accident, um, just hunting around for, for Taiji to start. I, I had been interested uh, to do martial arts for a long time, and I just finally took the step for a number of reasons, some of them being just health reasons. I, I was a musician, uh, have been forever, and uh, if you play musical instruments, I mean, your, your yeah. body gets quite messed up, uh, postural problems and everything, and I just needed exercise. And um, I was interested in martial arts, but I was not experienced, and I found him sort of by accident and, and by luck. I trained with him for six or seven years, and at a certain point, um, I was going to take. I, I that's when I also started going back to university and was so interested in Taiji that I started studying Chinese. And, I and know I this young. story. Yes, and I was I was young and slightly stupid, and maybe now I'm just sort of older and slightly stupid. But <laughs> but uh, I, I had this idea that oh, if I'm gonna, I'm going to go learn Chinese, and then I'll be able to read all these old books, right? I'll be read all these old Taiji books and Gongfu books. I'll be able to understand everything. Of course, I I did learn a fair amount of Chinese, but my reading was never good enough. I didn't yeah. take it far enough to learn those to read those books, which a lot of them were sort of in what they call Guwen classical Chinese, um, too old and too complicated. Um, and and also, you know, the the worst part was that um, although I did do Asian studies and I loved the language speaking Chinese, um, I was more interested in martial arts than scholarly pursuits. <laughs> and and although I did enough to graduate in my major, I I, I didn't focus enough on writing and reading. In Chinese, uh, and, uh, well enough that I would be good enough to, to read those books and all that. Um, but it did serve me very well because um, after I think after I'd been studying Chinese for maybe um, a year and a half or so, a year I can't remember. I, I decided I was going to take a trip to China uh, just because I'd never been, and I was like, oh, this would be great. I want to you know practice my Chinese and see you know see if I can get better and see how my Chinese works. I mean, that's always fun. If you know a language, you can go to that country and then work on it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, at that time I told my teacher, Jean Chen, that I was going to go to China and, you know, was there anybody I should see over there? And I didn't really expect him to say anything because he was kind of reserved as a person. Uh, but, but he did actually give me a formal introduction to his shifu, his teacher, uh, Fondertian and Fondertian was still alive at that time. And, and that was just very lucky. It was fortuitous. And I went, uh, to Beijing and, you know, practiced my Chinese and went and visited Fondertian and, uh, at that time, Jean basically told me, look, okay, you know, go, go see Fundertang, you know, and, and, you know, you can talk to him. Cause I think, you know, he had some a letter and some messages. He wanted some contact with Fundertang as well. Um, Jean was not in good health at that time. And, and I think he was missing his, his former life and his opportunities in China. And that was his sure So he sent me a package and a letter and all this stuff. And, um, he wanted me to go see Funertang. So, and he said, you know, you, you go see him, you know, if he likes you, maybe you're lucky. He likes you. You get to take some pictures with him, you know, hmm. it's, the, the situation is a lot more complicated than this. There's a lot of, always a lot of politics and martial arts. Um, but I'm giving you the short version because we would be here, you know, all week. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but the short version is he gave me, you know, this formal introduction, sent me to Funertang and said, Oh, if he likes you, he'll take a picture with you. And then, uh, I went to see him and Funertang talked to me and said, you know, how is Gene doing? And I said, well, his health is not the, that great. And we were just talking and, 
And then he looked at me and, you know, read the letter and looked at me and said, do you, you know, do you want to, do you want to train? Do you want to learn? And I, what could I say? I mean, I was speechless <laughs> and I said, well, of course, right? I mean, yes. And he said, okay, we start tomorrow. And, uh, so we did. And so I learned from him. And then I went back there on a number of visits and I learned from him and then returned and practiced with Gene uh, as well. And that was over a number of years. And then uh, at a certain point, uh, Gene's health was not good. He passed away from cancer. Um, and then I, I uh, graduated university. And after I graduated university, that was it. I went to Beijing. I moved to Beijing. And uh, and then uh, while I was over there, I... I uh, Studied with a few people. I studied with Fan uh, Zhang for a while. Uh, then I studied a little bit of Bagua Zhang with someone named He Jinbao. And uh, in the interim, and I was actually uh, looking for Chen Yu, my shifu, because I had met him before and I had been told about him. And through a number of strokes of luck, I actually found him in Beijing after a lot of work and uh, ended up, you know, meeting him. I when, when I first met him, you know, we went out to dinner with me and his disciple and. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who later became my wife, um, and she, she was there either to help me with my uh, with with my Chinese language problems because I wasn't perfect. I, I won't say even now I won't say I'm fluent, but I'm very proficient. I'm, I'm conversationally pretty good, and my accent is decent, and I can have fairly complex conversations, uh, but not fluent. There's plenty of people a lot better than me. Most of them Chinese people, but there's a lot of foreigner, <laughs> there's foreigners who are a lot better than me too. But, uh, uh, you know, she was there to help me and maybe carry me home if I had to get too drunk. Um, <laughs> the, the, the result, of course, was that he got us both too drunk and we had to carry each other home. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was... That's the, the Chinese culture is like that, and you know, you sort of drink, drink to celebrate. And so we went out and we drank and we had a nice talk and... and uh, I asked him if he was willing to teach, and he said he was. And I started training with him the next week. And uh, within a few weeks, I, I did the formal way to sort of apply to become a disciple, or what they call tudi. Um, and there's these formal ways to do that, uh, the, the same way the Chinese people would do that. Um, the only difference is I wasn't Chinese, but in in my case, I mean, I can say I was fortunate. I was fortunate, but it was also hard work. My Chinese was good enough, and my background with Gene Chen because because Gene was had lived in the United States for many years. So in some ways he was very modern, he was very sort of Americanized, but in his heart he was still very, very traditionally Chinese and very strict. And so intentionally, unintentionally, at least some of us who were in his class learned some of the Chinese cultural traditions around martial arts and, and just social things. That that you need to know to to move in Chinese society, um, and I was lucky enough to learn some of those things from him. And then a, n a number of other trips to China, I sort of learned more. Um, by the time I started training with Chen Yu, I was good enough in the cultural side, and my Chinese language was good enough um, that I could sort of do the formal thing the same way Chinese people would do it. it, it it's complicated, but it's like how knowing how to talk to people in in China in Chinese culture uh, it's not simple uh, it's just not the same as the west at all um it's like now i don't know how much you guys know about this but being in in japanese martial arts my my grandfather was a was a great uh studier of japanese culture and i remember him him telling me that in the japanese language they have essentially 64 different relationships and therefore 64 different 
they're not exactly dialects, but they're 64 different ways of speaking based on 64 different relationships. And it can even change the grammar and the sentence structure and all, there's all kinds of things you have to know. You know, maybe different words, maybe grammatical. I'm not an expert on Japanese, but I know that that's, there's 64 different relationships. Um, depending on whether you're speaking to somebody who is older than you or somebody who is younger than you or somebody that's a work colleague or, you know, somebody yeah. that you don't know, you know, uh, all kind of different ways of relating. And and China doesn't have 64 different relationships, but, I mean, maybe they, I don't know how many relationships they have, but they don't have a linguistic difference based on 64 different relationships, but they certainly have a pretty large number of relationship nuances that one ought to know. You know, if you mm, are speaking to yeah. somebody who is older than you, if you are speaking to somebody who is senior to you in martial arts, uh, if you were speaking to a colleague, if you know, it's all kind of, and, and then there's all this, because uh, China is a very hierarchical society. So, you know, how do you, e even if you're just a normal Chinese person, uh, if, if you want to become the, you know, adopted apprentice or adopted son of some martial arts teacher, and that person is older than you, I mean, how do you relate to them? There's ways that you have to do that. And could you give us an example? Well, um, if you, if you went to, for example, if you went to a very old teacher, let's say you're you're 20 years old, you're just a kid, okay, and and you found a teacher who's like 75 or 80 years old and was very famous, and you found out where they lived, and you just went and banged on their door, and they opened up their door, um, and 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 there's that person that you're thinking of, and they're 75 years old or whatever, and you're 20, you say, "Hello, I want to learn from you. I heard about you. You're you're famous. You're great. I want to learn from you." I mean, e even in China, they probably just slam the door in your face. And and I saw this um, in action. I remember, you know, when I, I was when I was studying Bagua over there. Um, I was at my teacher's house at the time, and I remember somebody just showed up out of nowhere, walked into the courtyard, and and we were outside in the courtyard talking, practicing whatever. But we were sort of taking a break, so there wasn't any martial arts to see at that moment. But he was standing near his doorway, and this person knew the address of his house somehow, and walked right up to him and said, "Oh." Uh, are you Hudimbao? I know who you are. You're Hudimbao. You you teach Bhagwajang. I want to learn Bhagwajang, right? And uh, and Hudimbao just looked at him really quite incredulously, like surprised, and said, "Who? Hudimbao? Who's that? Who are you looking for?" And he said, "Hudimbao. You know the Bhagwajang guy, right?" He said, oh, "I don't know who that is. Who's that? Who are you looking for?" No, no. I want to learn Bagua from this guy Hudimbao. So I don't know who that. You must have the wrong address. The guy looked very confused, turned around, and left. End of story. Wow, and wow. that's that. That's uh, that's harsh. <laughs> well, that that's that's just a story. It's it's like uh, you know, in in the United States, and th this comes out of the African American community in the United States. They have a, a, a saying that says "come correct." Uh, I mean, yep. you have to come correct, which means if you approach a situation and you come up to somebody without any respect, it's like you didn't come correct. Get out of here. You know, you you got to come with the right attitude. And and this guy didn't come correct. He he came up to the doorway, walked right up to that person. He didn't introduce himself well. He wasn't particularly humble. He was too forward. And worse than that, he had no relationship with this guy. Mm -hmm. Right? There's nobody introduced him. He didn't know who this guy was. So he didn't have any reference for relating to this person. And in China, so there's a there's a there's a, a word in Chinese, which although it has a translation, it doesn't really have a parallel in English. And that word is guanxi. And whenever you read like uh, economics or political uh, articles about China, they're always going to talk about this word guanxi, guanxi, like it's some mystical thing. And, and what it really means is relationship.
okay? But the way it's used is different. In, in English, we might use the word relationship. It's kind of simple. It's just base value. We understand what that means, a relationship between two things, relationship between people. Um, but in Chinese, this word guanxi refers to a little bit more. So it's relationship, but it's also like relationship itself is almost a, it's a type of a currency that makes society work because the the traditional society is so hierarchical that uh, uh nothing works without relationships and bribes you know and and this kind of thing so relationship itself uh is it refers to like a glue or a bond between people it's it's the thing that makes it makes you important to somebody else for whatever reason and and if so for example, when Jean Chen sent me to Fondertang with a letter and a gift and the whole thing, okay, Jean Chen is Fondertang's disciple. He has guanxi with Fondertang, a pretty strong, you know, type of guanxi, okay? He has this relationship bond. They spent some years together, okay? So they have this really solid bond. And then he sends me with a letter and a gift, introducing, giving me a formal introduction to Fondertang. Now I have guanxi with Fondertang. Okay, because somebody that's important to him paved the way for me and 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 said this person is important, you know, you you can take them seriously. All right. And mm -hmm. so he established that link now between him and me and therefore me and Funertown. So Funertown was able to take me seriously. Otherwise, he would have looked at me and said, Who are you? Get out of here, you know. And and truth be told, I mean that's the way China is. I mean it was it, it is a quote-unquote communist country. Now, how communist is it? That is up for debate. But for years, it was strongly communist, right? And as a result, I mean, they went through some years of hard living over there. And people generally, Chinese people, they kind of keep to themselves. I mean, they don't like to talk to strangers. If they don't know you, they got nothing to do with you, you know, because you could be, you could mean problems for them. And your relationship with the teacher you made in Beijing paved the way to to the other teachers, if I understand well, correctly. Well, that was a little bit different. So Gene paved the way for my relationship with Funertown, okay? And then Funertown didn't pave the way for me to anybody else. It was, in fact, like I spent some time studying Bagua there. It was a fairly short time, but, I, you know, it was a good time. Um, and I was introduced to the Bagua Zhang teacher by a friend of mine who was studying with that teacher. So the friend, I, we actually, I was like, let's go to, he was going to go, I was going to go, let, let's go together to China. We stayed together. And then he was, you know, going to go train with his teacher. And then uh, I was doing other things. And then he said to me, hey, do you want to come along? You know, you could, maybe you could translate for me because his Chinese wasn't good. And, and at that moment, I didn't have anything to do. And I said, fine, that sounds like fun, right? So uh, I wasn't interested in Bhagavad wasn't trying to learn Bhagavad I just went to help out and to have a fun day and meet somebody interesting. Um, so I went along with him. And when I went to meet my Bhagavad teacher, he looked at me, you know, so who are you, you know, and, and. And I said, I'm here. I'm going to translate for him. He knew, he knew my friend. He remembered him. He's like, oh, how you doing? You know, and then he said, I said, I'm, you know, so-and-so. I'm his friend. I'm just going to come help him translate and hang out. He goes, really? You're just going to translate? I said, yeah. He goes, why don't you train some Bhagavad I said, well, I, I do Tai Chi Chuan. He said, that's okay. Tai, he said, Bhagavad will help your Tai Chi Chuan. You know, he wanted me to train Bhagavad at the time. So, so I was like, ah, okay, somebody's just offering to teach me. Why not? Right? I mean, he, he liked yeah, me sure. enough and said, sure, you, you should learn this. Said, why not? And he was... You know, he's incredibly good, um, shockingly good, very good. So I was like, fine, sure, why not? You know, so I trained a little. I translated for my friend. We had a good time. And um, and so in that sense, uh, my friend gave me Guanxi with him, you know, sort of paved the way. The fact that I was linked at least to the person who knew him, you know, otherwise would he have taught me? I mean, I don't know. You know, that was a different time. Of course, that teacher, the Bagua teacher is 
quite a bit more famous now. He probably teaches lots of people. But back then, you know, maybe times were different. And and so later on with Chen Yu, I didn't have any guanxi with Chen Yu at that time. That's my shifu who I ended up training with. Um, but I met him sort of by accident. And, and then later when I got to talking with him, I mean, here's the funny part is that Jean Chen, my first teacher, um, so how to explain this? Jean Chen, my first teacher, had spent a fair amount of time in Chen Village back in the day before Chen Village was open. It was politically a closed zone, meaning at that time, this is really just after the Cultural Revolution, and the oh. government had a tight grip on who could go where. And Chen Village was like a farming, it's like a farming co-op, right? Uh, uh, sort of like what you guys have kibbutz over there, right? Yeah. It was it was sort of like a farming co-op, but it was closed by the government. For political reasons. So no one who wasn't part of that family or part of that work unit was allowed to go in there. Um, and it was very controlled. Um, back in those days, Gene Chen uh, actually threw a friend of his who is a very famous uh, Chen Taishuan master named Chen Xiaowang. I mean, he's, he teaches all over the world. But back then, Chen Xiaowang was not famous at all. He was, a, as, as Gene put it, he was a country bumpkin. He was a, you know, a, a farming sort of a peasant, you know, who was good at Gongfu, but he was very young. And they became friends. And and as I heard it, Chen Xiaowang helped Gene Chen, who was, was called Chen Jinghong, uh, helped him forge fake papers that stated he was a member of the Chen family, which allowed him to get into Chen Village. Wow. And so, yeah, so he got into Chen Village and he trained quite a bit there. And then somewhere later, um, he wanted to go learn from someone named Chen Zhaokui, who is my teacher's father. Okay, Chen Zhaokui is very famous for, for bringing his father's Kung Fu back to Chen Village when the art was kind of dying out. But in any case, uh, Jean wanted to go learn from Chen Zhaokui and he later went out to, uh, I think he went out to dinner with him in Beijing. And and when he did that, Chen Zhaokui brought along Funderjiang. Okay, who is the, that was became his shirtful, right? The one he introduced mm-hmm. me to. And yep. so Jean is out to dinner with Chen Zhaokui and Funderchang. And Chen Zhaokui said, you know, you should learn from Funderchang. And I, I think most likely Chen Zhaokui was probably very busy. And uh, we also know that at the end of his life, his health was not so great. So he, he probably said, you know, I'm not, you know, he's probably not doing that great. And, and uh, uh, you know, let, let Funderchang do the hard work, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Of teaching you, and so he introduced him to Funderchang, and so he had Guanxi with Funderchang. Do you understand? He had, at yeah. least had some kind of formal introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and somewhere, you know, I don't know the exact sequence of events, but he had spent a lot of time in Chen Village. He had been around Chen Zhaokui. He had met Chen Zhaokui obviously before, right? So that he could go out to dinner with him later. Um, and hmm. Chen Zhaokui's son, whose name is Chen Yu, right, was always around when my first teacher was learning from Chen Zhaokui. The kid was around, right? Chen Yu was whatever, six, seven years old or whatever it was, running around getting into trouble. So my first teacher knew who Chen Yu was, but Chen Yu was a lot younger than him. See, when I trained from Jean, he was like 65 years old, right? And then when I went to China, eventually, after many trips to China and everything, when I when I was there learning from Chen Yu, he was 43 years old at the time. Oh, but it was uh-huh. older than me. I mean, I was like 30 or something. I can't remember, 28 or 30. So point being, although I didn't have a direct you know, connection to Chen Yu, uh, uh, my teacher had told me about him. So that when I met him, when I met him the first time, I actually 
uh, uh, called him by the name, his childhood nickname, that my first teacher had told me was his name. My first <laughs> teacher always called him by his childhood nickname because he always knew him as this little rascal who was running around. And and so at that time they called him Xiao Pang, which means little little fatty, you know, like a little little fat kid, you know? <laughs> like little baby, you know. Uh, that's like a nickname to get to a little baby kid, you know, who's kind of fat because they value, you know, like a pudgy, healthy kid. So mm-hmm. um, they always called him little fatty. And my, that's what my teacher called him. And so that when I met him in Beijing, I said, oh, you're Xiaopeng, which was like a really stupid thing for me to say. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, here I'm talking to a 40-something-year-old guy saying, hey, you're a little fatty, you know? And, and which was, <laughs> But I was at that time fairly inexperienced. And I'm like, oh, you're Xiaopeng. And he just looked at me like, God, it was a, the, his look was a cross between what an idiot you are. And, and, and then on the other side, like, how, how the heck do you know my nickname? You know, that's my childhood nickname. And how is it so, that some idiot little foreigner here knows my childhood nickname? That's so wow, odd, that's right? That's priceless. Right. And, no. then, and then, you know, I said, well, I, I know who you are because my teacher knows you. And he said, who's your teacher? I said, it's uh, Chen Hong. And, uh, you know, and I told him some stories about Chen Hong, And they said, oh, I know who that guy is. I know who that guy is. Of course, he didn't like him all that much, but I, I know who he is. You, know? <laughs> you study from that guy, you know. I know that guy, and uh, and and then he said, "Oh, you know, show me a little, a little, a little of what you learned." I showed him a little. Of course, he kind of laughed at me. You know, you suck. You're terrible. But uh, you know, I showed him a little, and and from there, you know, we sort of have a basis for having a relationship. I knew, and then. He he also knew that I had studied from Funderchang, okay? So my teacher's Shifu, Funderchang. I had studied from him. And Funderchang and Cheyu knew each other very well. Okay? So they had their own relationship. And the fact that I had been Funderchang's student, well then that was like Cheyu was like, Oh, you were Funderchang's student. Well, you should come learn from me. Mm. You see, then there's a little bit of rivalry there, right? Yeah. And then the fact, you know, there's a little bit of pride in that I was, because Funderchang was already very famous at this time, and this time Chenyu was not famous. And so the fact that I was a foreigner who had learned from Funderchang, and, and maybe he could get me to come learn from him, that's a badge of honor. At that time in China, because we're talking early 2000s here, at that time, having a foreign student was a badge of honor. And then additionally, the fact that that person had been a student of Funderchang who's very famous, and now they would want to study with you, Chenyu, well, that's a big point of pride. Okay. Okay, so this is the end of part one of the interview. As you can hear, uh, we had a lot to talk about, and we had a great and long conversation. Our next part starts with an explanation on the idea of, of disciples in Chinese martial arts society, and continues to more of Marin's insights and stories. That is it for today. In the meantime, keep on training! questions, requests, or any other reason, you can reach us on our Facebook page, No Wax Needed. Send us an email at no.wax.needed at gmail.com or post something in our homepage, nowaxneeded.wordpress.com. Feel free to share our stuff, as long as you remember to credit it.